Hello and welcome to the Permaculture Podcast with Scott Mann, a listener-supported program. Today's show is kind of a best of from the archives. This episode is a re-edited re-release of The Gift, a story written and recorded by Matt Winters, the librarian for the Traveling Permaculture Library Project, and a graduate of my first online permaculture design course. This story was his response to an assignment to imagine what his design site would look like over time. To begin a hundred years in the future, and then step backward through time to the present. Through this, he could explore how, when, and why to implement various pieces of his design, and that it could be carried on once he was no longer part of the process. Here Matt explores that scenario in an engaging narrative that shows the power of storytelling. From feedback I've received over the years, since the initial release of this episode in November of 2013, many of you have connected with the long view that Matt took in considering how his choices now can impact his family for many, many generations to come. I listen to this piece from time to time and read the story which you'll find in the show notes as a reminder to slow down and that the changes I make today will echo through history. I have a responsibility not only to myself, but also to future generations. Enjoy. Alina woke to the sound of the songbird at her window again. The cool spring breeze from that window was beginning to warm with the early morning rays of sun. Carried on the breeze were faint traces of the perfumed blossoms of the fruit trees in the backyard food forest. She got up and quickly dressed, as she knew her chores would need to be completed before her mother allowed her to start her studies. Being self-schooled, Aline had read about the educational systems of the past, and she pitied those poor children in their government schools of long ago. They were never able to delve deeply into the subjects that interested them most. For Aline, it was nature. She threw open the back door of her home and put on her garden work boots before heading to the shed to fill the feed bucket for the hens. Her routine was to carry the feed down to the hen house and exchange it for the day's egg harvest, hens willing. Along the way, she would walk through the garden where her dad tended some annuals in amongst the many varieties of perennial food plants. She would pick anything that looked past its prime and add that to her feed bucket as an extra incentive for the one or two broody hens. She had learned to pick her battles. The hens provided plenty of eggs for the family, and the surplus was sold to pay for their feed, which supplemented their foraging. But on this land, it wasn't just the hens that enjoyed a bountiful foraging experience. Aline had heard the stories of when her ancestors had settled this land over 100 years ago, and how they had laid out a plan for building a sustainable homestead that would feed their family for generations. Now, as she looked at the land around her, she tried to imagine what it must have been like for her great-grandfather those many years ago. He had named the homestead Winter's Haven, after the family name, and while his original plans had been modified many times by his descendants over, over the years, the overall goals remained the same. Each year at the annual Harvest Festival, when family and neighbors gathered at their home, Aline listened to the telling of the story, and she stared hard at the pictures on the wall of her family's dining room. She could almost hear her great-grandfather speaking the story himself. 
On her tenth birthday, she had been given access to the family archives and had read her great-grandfather's words in his own sloppy handwriting. It was from those words that she had found her life's calling. She realized at that time something that she had only vaguely sensed up to that time, that all this was for her. The laying boxes were empty of hens today as she stood on top of a block that her father had placed for her to be able to see into the top boxes. Reaching into each box, she retrieved the eggs, some of which were still warm from their recent laying, and she placed them gently into her basket. She filled the feeder as the hens scrambled around her feet, cackling at her quietly as if to fill her in on the day's news. They became very excited as she tossed them some overripe fruit and wilted greens, and she watched as they worked out their literal pecking order. Before returning to the house, she looked up to survey the trees overhanging the chicken's yard. There were mulberry trees that were taller than any structure on the farm, their fruits ripening in the morning sun. She knew that as the fruits began to drop into the pen, her feed bucket would get lighter as the chickens filled up each day on the bounty dropping from the sky. That had been part of the plan, laid out those many years ago in an effort to address the looming issues of the failing society of which her great-grandfather was a part. Every plant, every structure, every land feature should have multiple functions, he had written. The mulberries provided shade for the chickens and protection from the hawks. Its fruit would feed the chickens in times where feed was hard to come by. The leaf drop would mulch the soil and add to the chicken manure to revitalize the ground when the chickens were shifted to their other paddocks. Wood from the mulberries was used for structures throughout the farm. Even her crib had been made of mulberry wood and later recycled as a brooder for baby chicks. Produce no waste had been one of the often quoted phrases in her family for generations. Past the mulberries, she could see that the new understory plantings she had helped her father put in last fall were growing well. The hazels were bright green amongst the many varieties of cane fruits and herbs. Beyond that, the older fruiting trees, the mayhaws, the pawpaws, and the young pecan trees were now fully leafed out and benefiting from the recent rains. The land beneath these trees undulated gently in a series of catchments that slowed and retained the rain as it fell and moved across the landscape. The term her great-grandfather had used was swales when he dug those ditches so many years ago. Aline had been almost nine years old before she realized these types of changes to the land shape were not natural occurrences. At first, it had bothered her that someone would mess with nature in that way, but as she visited neighbors' farms around the area, she noticed the ones doing well all had similar earthworks of differing ages. The abandoned farms at the end of the road had none of these, but the land there was still barren from the twenty-year drought her grandmother told her about, and no one had lived on those farms since. Several folks had talked of rehabilitating those places, but with only shovels and strong backs to work with, it would take years to do what her great-grandfather had done in mere weeks, back when the oil still flowed. But it took that drought back in the 70s and the decline of cheap energy for Aline's family to realize the value of the land they had inherited. Aline shook her head to clear the daydream she was enjoying as she stood in the chicken yard with hens pecking about her feet. 
She picked up the egg basket and the feed bucket and headed back to the kitchen. After securing the shed, she brought the eggs into the summer kitchen just off the back porch of her family's home and proceeded to clean and then sort the eggs. The ones that were uniform in color and shape she would place carefully into well-used cartons to take to neighbors on the midweek delivery list. The others she left in the basket, placed in the indoor kitchen, for her mother to use for the day's meals. Just a few more chores, and she could return to reading that new, old book from her family's library. She hurried out the door again, and this time was met by a huge, hairy monster of a dog that proceeded to kiss her all over. Baxter was as excited as Aline was annoyed by his affections. The dog was part of the homestead and a hard worker, but he seemed to like interacting with his human pack members as much as he enjoyed protecting the feathered ones. After what she thought was a thorough ear-scratching, Aline continued on her mission, up the hill to the solar well-house. The pump was humming quietly, as the sun tracked higher into the sky and the storage tank was filling nicely. The family used this water for irrigating the kitchen garden in the front yard, and it was Aline's responsibility to open the valve from the storage tank to the irrigation system for twenty minutes each morning, unless it had rained the night before. The irrigation system was something her great-grandfather had written about, but never had the time to implement in his lifetime. In fact, it wasn't until the electric grid went down for a whole year and the water from the rural water district stopped flowing that her grandfather was forced to install the solar well pump and storage tank. Her father told her he had been her age at the time, and he complained bitterly about the amount of work he was tasked with as Part of the project, they also ran piping throughout the property for irrigation, completing this project just five years before the great drought. It was a large part of what saved the homestead from the fate of so many others at that time. Her father learned his lesson, and he reminded her of this any time she complained about hard work. Her last chore was Aline's favorite. For the twenty minutes it took to irrigate the kitchen garden, she was tasked with the daily foraging walk. Retrieving her big basket from the summer kitchen counter, she headed out on a well-worn path that would take her to the back of the family's property and back. Her fondest and earliest memories as a young child were of toddling along with one or both of her parents as they daily walked the trail around the property to retrieve whatever was in season at the time. Tending a struggling plant here, chopping and dropping some branches there, to let in light for the plants below, finding hidden gems of nature everywhere. Just enjoying the goodness of the land was her favorite thing in the whole world. Her parents would patiently teach her as they walked together what plants were good to eat and when, what plants had special needs and how to meet those. She learned the names of the plants and the trees and helped transplant out whatever the family had decided to add that year. Most of what they planted was merely propagated from cuttings or seeds collected elsewhere on the property. It was their responsibility, her father had said, to plant the trees that their grandchildren would eat from. But she came to realize early on that planting a tree was not enough to ensure its success. She learned about companion plantings and guilds that her family had developed over the years to give each plant a better chance of success by meeting its needs with a nearby planting. Her grandmother called it their Garden of Eaton, 
and what a garden it was. Chestnuts and pecans formed the upper canopy layer with large old oaks filling in a few gaps. Aline marveled at how those oaks were probably growing here when her great-grandfather purchased the land and began its transformation. Multiple stories of multiple species of multiple types of fruit and nut trees were forming the understory. She could see the peaches and plums were already in full bloom, as the bees from her mother's hives buzzed about it lazily. The almonds and the edible dogwoods were just starting to develop blooms. Climbing these understory trees, she could count six different types of vining plants, including muscadine grapes, hardy kiwi, maypops, and hops that her dad used in brewing his nasty beer. Squirrels darted amongst the vines and up the trees and chattered at her in protest, as they did every morning. Shrubs surrounded most of the trees, and some of these would produce fruit for the jellies and the jams that she would make with her mother in the coming months. Below these shrubs were culinary and medicinal herbs, whose Latin names she still struggled with, but whose uses she could recite like her life depended on it. And sometimes it did. Every day there was something new to see or learn about. Many was the day she would spend the afternoon researching some pest or plant she had come across during her morning walk. Thank goodness for her family's extensive library of books about the natural world. Every day she would return to her home with her basket filled with delicious foods for the family's meals that day. On many occasions her mother would leave her a note to gather certain medicinal plants to use in her practice as she went about caring for others in the community. Sometimes her father would have her check his traps along her walk, a job she hated but understood its importance. As she would grow and learn, she would come to realize that these walks were really a walk back in time. For her, the path had always been one of provision and sustenance, but she knew it had not always been this way. Some of the trees she planted with her parents last year wouldn't provide food for anyone for ten years or more. Some of the trees she harvested from were older than her father and had been put there for this very purpose, to provide abundance for her family by those she had never met. She knew enough about the greater world around her to know that she had been given a gift by her ancestors in the way they had tended this land. She knew it was her duty to continue this tradition for those who would come after her, and the weight of that responsibility was lifted each day by the joy she felt as she explored the path laid out before her. Aline hurried along, gathering good things as she went. She was looking forward to getting back home so she could blow the dust off that old book she'd found in the family's library with her great-grandfather's handwritten notes in the margins. It was a book about a subject called permaculture, and she was eager to learn what that meant. And that was Matt Winter's The Gift. If you'd like to get in touch with him, you can email librarian at thepermaculturepodcast.com and let him know what you think about this story. Also, when you send that, if you haven't joined the library project yet, let him know your address so you can become a part of that cycle of giving. We continue to add more and more books to that project every couple of weeks and mail out more as they come back to us. With that project and a lot of the work of the podcast, it does depend on your support as a listener. 
this entire podcast is listener-supported. So if you'd like to make a one-time contribution to the show, you can do so via the PayPal button on the front page of the podcast at www.thepermaculturepodcast.com, or you can send something via the post, The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. Or, if you'd like, you can become a regular member of the Permaculture Podcast Patreon community by going to patreon.com forward slash permaculturepodcast and signing up to give a recurring, and sign up there to give a recurring contribution on a per-episode basis and see what my goals are for making this podcast a full-time endeavor and continue to expand and grow it. If any time along your path, I can assist you in the work that you're doing, give me a call, 717-827-6266, or send me an email, show at thepermaculturepodcast.com. Until the next time, take care of the earth, yourself, and each other.